Welcome to the Celebration Community Church Podcast, where we exist to meet God, grow in Him, and serve through Him. Welcome to the C3 Podcast. My name is Nathan Perdue. And I'm Derek Mayfield. And seated uh, somewhere in this general vicinity, because we can't actually see most of him <laughs> but a floating head, is Garrett Cars, who is our Encounter Young Adult pastor. He's also an itinerant speaker, an author, a dad, and an overall cool guy. Thanks. So, um, welcome, Garrett. Well, oh, thank you. This is good. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Excited to talk about what we're going to talk you're, about. You're today. kind of like the actual like original podcaster of this church, and I'm kind of wanted to talk about that. So maybe this is a a good uh, way to to lead into the conversation. Is, sure. is why have you felt the the need to produce a podcast? I I know that you would say by your own admission because you're a, a very humble person, like. No one needs to hear me say the same sure. thing that everybody else has said. And, right. and Derek and I f- echo that sentiment. I don't sure. feel like people need to hear my voice to hear about how to sure. be a good Christian yeah. when there is such a wealth of, of knowledge right. from, from other more accomplished podcasters. But, but you still made it. And, sure. and I really enjoy listening to your podcast, uh, another um, just aside there. But, but why have you felt the need to, to, to create that content? Sure. I think the first thing is... Um, just specifically designed for young adults. And it's actually kind of amazing to see the segment of people. We're reaching older people too, which there's, which is awesome. That, that wasn't the original intention. Um, but it's really cool to see that, you know, what we are doing is worth people's time. And that's for me, at least that's always like, wow, you're going to take 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes out of your day to listen to something that we produce. And that's just an honor for me in general. But I think for I think the original intent of the podcast was like we only get 30, 30 minutes a week with young adults. Right. And and so for me it's like, ah, I don't know. That's frustrating to me because it's not enough time. Yeah. And and I think we we talk about that a lot behind the scenes of church. Like people, I don't know, people really think that we think that. It's like, you know, that's probably why we go over sometimes because we really want to help people follow Jesus. Yeah. Um, and that's our our hope. And so I, we were just kind of dreaming up like, hey, how can we produce something that will help people follow Jesus? And so uh, podcasting really is still, like even though it's not new, it's really up and coming. Yeah. It's very still in the in the world of technology, it's still new and fresh. And there's it's easily like to get noticed, it's a lot easier. And so our hope was just to produce stuff that people would listen to and that would help them, you know, develop the relationship with Jesus. And so just trying to be like immensely practical, immensely helpful. And um, you know, there's just a plethora of different topics and we have actually got blessed because we got for some, it was a crazy story, but uh, we ended up being on Zondervan's publishing like oh. podcast list. So they actually send us books of authors who are writing about stuff, and obviously they've done the work of studying all of these things. And right. so it's like I get, we get like a window into somebody who's written probably hundreds of hours, studied hundreds right. of hours on this one specific subject, and yeah. so. For me, that was just like a huge open door for us. And it's not just about promoting their book. It's about, hey, how do we get up close? They want to talk about what they've written and things like that. And so um, I'd say that's probably, you know, the hope. For those who don't know, Zondervan is a Christian publisher. Yes, um, yes. 
both yeah. popular level books, and then they have a specific subset called Zondervan Academic that's yes. going to be for more of a confessional seminary, sure. that kind of thing. Right. So that's a really cool yeah. thing to be a, yes, a part of, to sure. have well-accomplished writers yes, come on your, sure. your podcast and talk about what they've studied and right. labored over for, for a long time. Yeah, that's really cool. I think that previously you and I have talked about the fact that what we listen to shapes us. Right. And I think it's really interesting that you talk about the fact that we only get 30 minutes at a specific service. Sure. Um, I would contend that the music is, uh, obviously right, I'm, for sure. I, I'm a little bit <laughs> triggered by that, right? I'm sorry. Um, but no, no, I know your heart and I know you sure. weren't saying that like it doesn't teach, but I an hour of time on right. a weekend or a Wednesday or something like that does very little to offset what someone does in their other time. Exactly. It's not a question of whether we're being formed by something, but it's a question of what are we being formed by. So if you're able to produce something that people are engaging with yep. at a real level um, to be used outside of the walls of the church, sure. I think that's a really powerful thing. And it, it, you know, you can cover your bases that what you're giving to your people is something that you support. Sure. Not that you'd mistrust their ability to discern. Sure. And ideally, you'd be teaching right. people how to discern things, right. both through the podcast and in person. Um, but no, I, th I think that that's a really interesting, and that might be another reason why we feel that it's good to to have a podcast, is just to talk about the things that our church is doing yep. and, and to stay connected in a time when it's so easy to be compartmentalized. Exactly. And, and the reality is that there's also important topics that we need to discuss that maybe just don't fit into the format of a Wednesday night at Encounter or a right. weekend service, <laughs> but are important things to discuss and talk about from a faith perspective Right. Um, that maybe a little bit more of a long-form conversation or discussion is better than one person standing up and talking or yeah. or right. or worship and music with in addition to that. And so I, I think that that's one of the the things that really pulled me towards a desire to to do this podcast was being able to have those conversations in and not just on one night where okay you can tune in right now but an ongoing thing that when it works for people they can tune in and listen and i think that there's there's power in having that readily right. available yep. when it's convenient for them to to take it in right yeah we've had people that have come up to me months and months after an episode and be like I just listened to this, you know, disciple or whatever discipleship or like the big one that Johnny V's interview was like huge. And it was the first one we did. And there's like, there's a bunch of, you know, listens to it. And people are still coming up me, to me today and saying, that was an amazing. And it's like, oh yeah. Okay. Listen to the rest of them, you know, <laughs> uh, another yeah. shameless plug, but, uh, but yeah, so I think it is, it is powerful and podcasts are just, you are sitting down or doing whatever and you can, you know, hopefully be helped in, in all of that. And so it is, it is a, just another tool, I guess, right. to, to help people grow in their faith. And that's, that's really how we see it. Right. So let's kind of just pump the brakes for a second and, and start toward the beginning and sure. just talk about why I wasn't you are there in Genesis. In... I'm sorry. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Good one. Thank you. Um, when, when you came to Fort Hayes, um, yeah. you probably didn't think that in X amount of years, I'm going to be a pastor. Right. I'm going to be a speaker for for, sure. <laughs> for churches. Um, talk a little bit about how you met God. Um, sure. Just through your story. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so was here 
at Fort Hayes studying agricultural business. I grew up in a farm um, in Nebraska. And so uh, that was kind of, that's just what we did. That's what our family did for, I was the fifth generation of family farmers. And so for a hundred years, we've been farming and, and ranching the same, the same land and, and everything. And so that was just the plan. And, um, and so I had promised my mom when I was in high school that I'd go to a four-year school. And she, that was like her one big thing. Cause she, a lot of my friends were not, not going to college. They were just coming back and, and she just, she wanted me to have a degree, you know, and, and I'd promised her I would do that. And so really probably wouldn't have been here if it wasn't <laughs> for my mom. Uh, but came to Fort Hayes. It's only about two hour drive and had an agricultural program that I really enjoyed. And honestly, just the tuition is fantastic. So uh, if you are interested, uh, come on down. We'd love to have you. But <laughs> so uh, I got just really involved in the wrong crowd when I came down here as, as unfortunately a lot of college students do. And I think that um, unfortunately Fort Hayes just has that reputation of, of kind of being a party town. And, and so unfortunately I think a lot of students come to school here, not just for school, but for the extracurricular activities and which is, is unfortunate in some ways. Um, and so I just really dove into that and I, the reason I didn't go to UNL, that's where 90% of, of, uh, our kids went from my right. high school. It's just like, that's where everybody goes. That's what you do. And the reason is because I just didn't want to be around the same people. I was kind of tired of high school. I was tired of that small town. Everybody knows everybody. I knew if I went to Nebraska and Lincoln that it'd be this, I'd hang out with the same people. I'd do yeah. the same things. And so I came here and I was just kind of reinventing myself, but not as much as I thought my freshman year. And then my sophomore year just kind of went off the deep end and, and really like was partying three, four, sometimes five nights a week. And, um, it's just really unfortunate, you know, that was the life that I was living and I thought it was great. I thought I was having fun and I thought like everybody was texting me, hundreds of people were showing up to my house, throwing huge parties. I felt like I was just top of the world. Right. And, and that's what the world tells you, right? That's yeah. like, that is, you see that in movies, that's the thing, you know, like that's the one thing. And, and, uh, uh, between my, basically the, the, about the Christmas of my junior year, um, I started getting really sick and, um, they couldn't figure out what was going on and, um, continued to get sick. And I was on uh, taking medicine and trying to figure out what was wrong and we went to doctor after doctor and could not figure out what was wrong. And I was still living the same lifestyle and finally went to a, a doctor in Nebraska and he let me know that my liver was failing right. and, uh, and, uh, that I had to quit drinking. Like there was no choices either. Like if you're going to drink, you're going to die or you're going to need a liver transplant. I was 21 and a half years old. And it's like 21 year old alcoholics don't really go to the top of the liver transplant list and I'm probably going to have a 40 year old liver in my 20 year old body. And right. like, just, I just got hit with the reality of the lifestyle that I was living in mm -hmm. a very hard yep. way. And, and I wish I could say, and that's when I turned my <laughs> life around, <laughs> but it wasn't, things got worse. Right. And I, so I stopped drinking and all of a sudden it was like, nobody was texting me anymore. All my friends started leaving me. Nobody wanted to hang out with me because I was just hanging out at home and playing Xbox. It was like, mm -hmm. and my girlfriend at the time just didn't want anything to do with me. And we eventually broke up. And that was really the rock bottom for me. It was like, once I, I had to make this choice for my life, 
for my body. And, and the amazing thing, which you would know this, Nathan, about the liver is that it can actually regenerate itself. And um, only God only God could do this because it was just an, it was at the right time where I hadn't done any permanent damage to my liver. And so if we hadn't caught it at that point, I can only imagine how much longer I would have lived in that lifestyle and right. potentially done permanent damage. And so my liver is actually, if I went to the doctor and they checked all, all my blood and everything, my liver is actually fully functioning 100% like it never, ever happened. Yeah, that's and incredible. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, obviously, God designed our body for, like, it's just amazing, yeah. you know, that the fact yeah. that... I'm sitting here, and you could never tell that I drank a drop of alcohol in my entire life, if, unless yeah. I told you this story. And and so that's when um, I had a guy who had been reaching out to me. I was in a fraternity, and he was kind of over overseeing some of the fraternity stuff and continued to reach out to me. And and finally, I ran into him one last time, and I finally asked him. I was like, "Where did you, you know, where do you go to church?" And he told me up here at celebration and. And that's the funny thing is, whenever my mom asked me where I went to church, I told her that I went to celebration. I had never <laughs> stepped foot in this church until my junior year. Yeah. And so I came in between, that was a summer between my junior and senior year, came up here. And honestly, it just was kind of crazy. I met Ben Glassman that summer. He'd moved back from a training program. He spent a year here. He discipled me and and just have not looked back since. And it's been just to be honest, like, I know that we always say this, like, it's the best, like, it's been the best part of my life. It has, like, I, yeah. I can't tell you how much better my life is because of that decision. And I know that there are a lot of people who are kind of flip-flopping back and forth. And I did that for some time. But for me, when I went all in, that was when I really just felt like this is the best design for life. This is the best way to live. And I'll, I'll never want to go back to that lifestyle because of how devastating it was to to me and to my life. Well, I mean, it sounds to me as though you were run through the mud and, and the bad of yeah. a lifestyle. You know, one of the most difficult things for me thinking about um, being a parent is the fact that there are a lot of super successful people right. that will continue to yeah. live a lifestyle of right. just fulfilling your own biological desires and be and continue to be successful. Right. But yep. your experience was that it, you came to the precipice, and had you gone any farther, you know, all those things would right. have happened. But then you had to reinvent your entire social structure yep. as well, because yeah. it sounds like your your friends were conditional on like yes. participating in um, right. in like drinking and, right. and and that kind of kind right. of thing. So yeah. once that was not a part of your life, yeah, that went away. <laughs> I, I'm I don't know whether it's a, a feeling of irony or paradox, but but now that you are the the young adult pastor mm -hmm. and you have people that are coming in that it may be in the same boat that you were yep. in, what what does that feel like to you? And and sure. how do you navigate that water? Yeah, I think for me, I just share my consequ the the consequences of my sin and yeah. that all the time. And a lot of times people are just kind of, and that's why I share my testimony a lot of times, especially in the context of college ministry, because, I mean, I, I don't even know if I could put a percentage on it, but it's probably above 75% of people in that. And and the people who aren't living that lifestyle are still struggling with the temptation to live that lifestyle. And so, and it doesn't really matter, you know, typical, but there's a lot of students that are struggling with that. And so 
for me, I just, I show them the consequences of my actions to say to them that it might not end up that way for you, but there are consequences. And I can tell you that when I changed, when God changed my life, that the, the difference, the difference between the two, it's not even close. Right. And so for me, I guess it's, it's more of a, I talk about this a lot at Encounter if, if you haven't noticed, but just like God's design for life is the best. And it's more fulfilling, it's more fruitful, it and it's not going to be easy, but it's better. And yeah. so I, a lot of times, I'll share the consequences that I faced, but then I just, I, I don't do that so much. I would much rather just show them the benefit of following sure. Jesus. And and so for me, you know, I do I do have a lot of conversations with with students, and and my story really convicts them just because. Yeah because it just does. Like they see the consequences. You can't hear my story and be like, wow, he didn't face the consequences of his bad decisions. Right, like right. there's no getting around the consequences. Like it's just in your face. Like, and, and so, and I don't do that to shame anybody or guilt anybody, right. but just for them to realize like the way that God designed life, if we live outside of his design, there are consequences that are going to be devastating at some point. And I, I honestly think that God allows us to feel success outside of his design to let us see how unfruitful and unfulfilling it is. Sure. You know? And so I think there's both. And sometimes, you know, I think that a lot of times when we're pursuing those things outside of God's design, they just, we think that we're going to achieve this and we're going to be fulfilled and it's just not there. And that's where I come back to God's design and saying, this is the most satisfying thing that you'll ever do. And so for me, at least that's where I'm trying to lead people. And that's, I'm so thankful to have the position I do because I know that I I was in their place in their footsteps, and and I know what they're going through. I know the temptations. I know how to get on the backside, lose every single friend that I had before, and right. start fresh. And I think that's actually the hardest thing for most people is they want to take that step of faith and say, "I don't want to live this way that's outside of God's design," but they don't know how to reinvent themselves kind of the word we've been using or restart friendships and that's when like Ben Glassman I mentioned him all of a sudden God just started putting people around me that and that's what and then uh, PK always says your best friends here in this church and we (laughs) all roll his eyes but dadgummit he was right it's true you know and it and so for me it's like that will happen if you keep coming and you actually are intentional about about developing those relationships so I you know, one of my favorite things of sitting in and listening to your testimony so many times is that you've never browbeat people about like, man, you are a sinner. Because I think that you coming coming so face to face with the consequences of your actions, one, you just have empathy right. for a person because you know what it feels like. And, and everyone in this room right now, Derek, uh, Garrett and I all... Have that same story of, right. of doing the college thing, yep. finding it unfulfilling, and then seeking elsewhere. Um, you know, one of the things that I like to mention is that God doesn't shame us; He invites us into something better. Yep. And that invitation may look different in form, exactly. and sometimes it looks pretty scary. Sure. Um, however, I think that you would probably be very quick to to say that. God's invitation into the life that you are living now is is better than the mm-hmm. one that you were living previously. Yeah, yeah for sure. And I, I just, it's it's not even close. I mean, right. there's there's not even 
there's I literally will sometimes drive down like down through uh the the party side of Hayes <laughs> and I'll get home and I'll tell Talia I have there's not an ounce of my body or in my bones that misses what's going on and and it's just like i just don't even miss that because it's so devastating to me um and i know that a lot of people are feeling that way when when they and it might not be in the moment but the next morning when they wake up they're feeling that that lack of fulfillment or or whatever and it's like there's a better life I, i i love seeing your your experience and how you're using your experience and have turned that into a passion right. for ministry, yeah. your desire to be. There's a lot of opportunities in in different ministries that you could be involved in, um, that you could be a part of, but choosing to be a part of Encounter and working with young adults, you're using your experience, mm-hmm. your past mistakes and, sure. and failures and pain to turn that into a positive thing by mm-hmm. being the passion that drives you to right. reach young adults and and you know i think that that's you know as nathan said we all can relate with that story there's a lot of people that can relate with your your story and so for you to take that story and turn that into a passion and being able to reach people that are in that same spot um you know that's that's a admirable thing thank you well i appreciate that and i i keep telling everybody that i see that i i really do believe like your testimony is the beginning of your ministry yeah and everybody has a testimony doesn't mean uh, for some reason, we celebrate people like me, mm-hmm. you know, and us, I guess all of us. Right. But I don't know why we do that, because there's so many people who come up after I speak and I'm like, I don't have a cool testimony. I'm like, no, you actually have the best testimony. And for people who've been following Jesus since a young age who've never swayed, I'm like, you literally, you're the, you're not obviously perfect, but you are the picture, epitome of Christianity mm-hmm. You have the best testimony. You need to share your testimony so that people know it's possible to follow, follow Jesus without falling off the path like I did. Yeah. And so just for, for the audience who is listening who doesn't have a testimony like ours, just know you have you do have a testimony. Just because you didn't make a big mistake like me does not mean Great. that you have a testimony. And I would not ever wish what I had to go through on a single person in the entire world. Um, entire earth because it it was so hard for me to to walk through. I feel I really feel connected to that sentiment to feel that you know sometimes the people with the microphones need more than anything to hear the testimony of the people who hear who listen to their voice all the time. Right. Yeah. You know specifically with music, I think of all the people who have come up to me outside of a service yep. and talked about how a, a specific piece of music has got has moved them through yeah, tragedy right. or moved them through hardship. And then I, I remember that I don't sing in a vacuum, you right. know, like <laughs> right. these, these things, these words that we use, um, both singing or otherwise are, are things that people take with them into the rest of their life. Right. And sometimes I got to be encouraged by somebody else's faith, sure. you know, yeah. that's, I think that that's really powerful. Um, you know, we talked about some of the the hardship of of ministry with young adults, but sure. there's always uh, something that that keeps you in it. So, why don't you tell us about you know something that that fi- you find fulfillment in, sure. or the the best thing about being right. the, the encounter pastor? Yeah, um, there's so much. Honestly, I am so encouraged uh, just by 
our ministry right now. Uh, to, to see what we've come through and, and the hardships and things that we've faced over the last couple of years, just it's been really encouraging to see the foundation that's being set with young adults right now. And I'd say, um, you know, we just baptized three people at Encounter a couple weeks ago and just things like that. That's what keeps me going. And um, I think the biggest thing, though, right now is we started a discipleship small group um, just because I, you know, we talk about discipleship a lot, uh, but I don't see it happening a lot. I guess. And so I'm like, what the heck is going on? I'm I'm tired of talking about discipleship and not seeing it happen. And so I just started this semester. I'm like, I'm just going to f- try this and see if it works. Probably not, but at least we'll learn, right? We're all learning, trying new things, stuff like that. And so the first the first time we did anything, um, had like a, two or three people show up. And in four weeks, we had six people showing up. And then, and then we stayed steady at six for a couple weeks and now we have eight people showing up and almost all I think seven out of the eight people are actually discipling somebody that they've either led to Christ or somebody that God has been putting on their heart and they're teaching them teaching them the truths of Christianity foundational truths and for me it seems like that's really what Jesus' heart was like we're doing life together and um, uh, two of them, that are in the that are in in the group have led other people to Christ, mm-hmm. and for me at least, it was the first time that a non-leader of a ministry that I've been involved with, as somebody who's not in charge or like uh, you know fundraising to be on staff, has led somebody to Christ. Uh, somebody who is not on the platform led somebody else to Christ, and for me, I was in my room praying when she was meeting with this person because I wanted them to know that it was possible that that it was possible for somebody not the leader of a ministry to lead somebody else to Christ because I really it is possible but we got over we just needed to get over this hump and I was just on my knees I'm like Lord if it is your will please please let this person be drawn into a relationship with you and she texts us back and we celebrated and we talked about it the next week and then all of a sudden people started sharing the gospel even more and all of a sudden this guy started discipling somebody in London and then all of a sudden his roommate came to Christ and we're seeing all of this start to happen and it seems like the kingdom of God is here. Mm. And that is ministry to me. Um and yeah. and we do ministry on Wednesday nights, but um we've always said at this church that the, the church is not a building. And I think that we are seeing that happen at Encounter specifically. And so that is the one thing I think for me right now that keeps me just fired up and and willing to continue and yeah. and, and moving forward. In previous podcasts, we've talked about the idea that words can sometimes have baggage. Sure. And the word discipleship, I think, can <laughs> specifically have baggage because it sure. implies a power differential. Right. Um, so while power differentials exist, sure. what's a healthy way that you found um, to right. to actually go into a relationship right. like that? For sure. So we never use we never actually use the words discipleship. Uh, or di- you're, I'm discipling you. Right, right. So like we're setting this stage of like, hey, do you, we never ask, hey, do you want to be discipled by me? That's like, so we're setting a foundation of like, we don't actually use, we call this discipleship, but we don't use the word discipleship. Sure. Uh, because it is off-putting. It's like, what? Oh, okay, this is kind of weird. Like, and so, um, and so it's more of like the way we set it up is like, we're actually learning this together. 
This is a community, and guess what? Every time we teach this, we're still learning. I'm continuing to learn new things as I teach. And so for me, it's like we're all perpetual learners, which is what I would call a disciple. And so it's a community of disciples who are helping each other follow Jesus. And so for me, that's really what I've tried to do with the model of discipleship that we're using. I've actually taken a bunch of things, a bunch of books, a bunch of teachings on discipleship and just put bare bones to it. It takes me 30 minutes. It takes everybody about 30, maybe 45 minutes to teach the lesson each week. And basically I just bootstrap discipleship because everybody thinks they're too busy. Everybody doesn't think they know enough. And so I've just taken the bare bones of what I believe is essential to Christianity in terms of a movement of discipleship and try to make it easy um, easier, it's not going to be easy, but right. easier to teach those foundational truths. And once they get equipped, and honestly, like I didn't see this stuff happening as fast as it's happening. I didn't see evangelism taking off and as a part of discipleship. And so I think that when, like I had a girl who who told me, like, I can't believe all this is happening. We've been doing this for eight weeks and already two people came to Christ and like we probably are in the process of discipling close to 15 people in in a, literally in a matter of 12 weeks not even 12 weeks it's been 10 weeks and so for me it's just why do why do we make it so complicated that people who love Jesus can't do this and i think Jesus actually simplified so much that he made things easily reproducible so where we could tell par- he told parables so that everybody understood. And some of them were pretty difficult, and he's like, if they don't have ears to hear, so maybe that's not true. But, um, <laughs> but I think he did it in such a way that people, ordinary people, like people don't, like everybody, everybody in their office. There's a girl who's been coming to our group who works every single day, and she's been doing discipleship and evangelism with her coworkers. And for me, I continue to tell her, that's a great place. You are in the place that God has put you, and you can do this right where you are. And so for me, it's just kind of trying to take all those presuppositions or those things that we think about it and saying, okay, this is not true. Let's throw this all out and let's just, this is the bare bones of Christianity and let's let's just teach this. And guess what? You're not going to be done with them in 12 weeks. So you have their whole lifetime to learn about Jesus. Yeah. So, well, and I think it's also like one of the things that I think has created, like, you know, what you talk about this movement or this change so quickly is when we're studying and we're focusing on something like that, yep. our eyes are open exactly. to see what God's doing around us yep. as well. You know, that's I know in my own life when I've been in situations where I've felt like I can't wait to get out of this, when my perception changes, when my focus changes, right. all of a sudden I have the opportunity to have a little more impact or have conversations sure. with people that I wouldn't have had if I was just sitting there saying, exactly. gosh, I don't want to be here right yep. now. Right? And so I think there's power in, in just being aware of what's going on around us, being available, and and you know, I think one of the most powerful discipleship and evangelism tools is waking up every morning and saying, "God, whatever you have for me today, exactly. just help me to have open eyes and open ears." Yeah, for sure. And you know, that goes that that's an important part right. of a faithful exactly. walk as a follower exactly. of Jesus. So when you say the bare bones of Christianity, it sounds that you've done a lot of work on on your end, sure. which I. I think is really heroic one to be like, okay, these are all of the things that are essential for a Christian because (laughs) I would always be like, oh, but man, this is too reductive. And I'm sure that you feel that as well. Exactly. But, but, 
Tell us, you know, there's probably not this magical formula sure. or anything like that, but what is just a, a broad brush of the basics of what you're teaching in sure. terms of that? Are you talking about theology? Are you talking about prayer and practice? Yeah. Um, probably both. Yes. So, I mean, I think theology is in every Christian conversation. I mean, we all have a theology uh, and just, we live it out. And it's, yes, that's, oh my goodness, <laughs> yes, that's so, so important to say yes. that it's not like theology is this abstract concept. Right. Whatever thing that you think of that invokes yes. the name of God or yep. the character of exactly. God or the function of God, that's, that's theology. theology. And that's okay. Yeah, okay. exactly. And that's, and that's why, like I, I mentioned this, we did a theology podcast on, on, um, the Encounter Young Adult podcast. And we said that I was taught that theology the purpose of it is to produce a life that's consistent with your theology. And for me, I was like, that's all I need to know. I could quit seminary right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah. we just, it's the same thing that we've done with discipleship. We've just, like, we think of Wayne Grudem's 18 million page systematic theology <laughs> book. And we're like, that my wife would be like, please don't talk to me about theology. And I'm like, I like those things. Yeah. But what, one of the things that Forge has taught me, the, the other ministry that I work with, is that we as ministers are trying to put all the cookies on the bottom shelf. And that's not to say that anybody is not unwilling or unable to understand things, but if we can get to the point where a fifth grader understands it, we've probably gotten to a really good place. And so for me, I've tried to just simplify things to to that place of we can all understand this. And I'll be honest, I'm pretty sure that I just read at a fifth grade level. And so I'm really just speaking to myself uh, when I say that. But for me, what we've done is evangelism. We've talked about the vision of discipleship in 2 Timothy 2.2. It talks about four generations of discipleship. And so um, that's kind of like a really big on the front end of what we talk about, evangelism, salvation through Christ alone, through faith alone, um, all of those things. We talk about um, prayer. We talk about fasting. We talk about tithing and giving, which is, we did that a couple weeks ago. It was a really awesome conversation with young adults. Um, we talk about the Trinity, which is also um, gets, gets a really interesting conversation. Um, and so that, I would say those are kind of the th main things. We talk about Bible study, things like that, where we can um, put them into practice in our life as well. And so what I'm what I'm have in mind when I think about we have 12, 12 weeks, um, yeah. which is about what we can fit into a small group at, at Encounter during the semester. And so what we've tried to do is just doesn't the twelve is no magical number. It's just like this is how many weeks I can teach this right. semester. No, absolutely. And so, um, but what if we actually all discipled one person a semester? With that in mind, we could disciple two people a year. And the vision that we have behind it is in four or five years, we could actually reach 500 college students if we all did one person, if we all discipled one person a year. That's it. If 10 of us right now today started, which is about the number we're at. So in five years, if we're all still discipling people, we have actually had, we would have discipled 500 people who are capable and willing and able to go out and disciple other people. And in 28, 30 years, we'd reach right around 7.9 billion. And so it's like, I wonder if Jesus's model of discipleship is actually what he intended because we could actually, because of the multiplication that would happen if we're all doing this, then we could actually go out and reach the world for with the hope of Christ. And I think that's what he wants from us. Right. So 
just kind of to summarize, you're saying that person X comes to your yep. small group, and then the expectation of person X is that they talk to sure. one person yep. about this yep. that is willing so, to hear them, right. that's willing to to try sure. to grow. Yep. I imagine, you know, discipleship is probably something for two confessing Christians to do sure. with one another. Right. Sure. Yeah. So the hope is the hope is that we actually put such a large emphasis on evangelism that we're not discipling disciples. Uh, now I understand yeah. that there are going to be a lot of. I know there are a lot of young adult Christians who have never had a discipleship relationship where we've taught people what to teach, and so I know that a lot of right now what we're doing is we're teaching other people who believe in Jesus already. But we already have two people who are discipling non who were formerly non-believers. And so right. that's why we started with the 12 foundational truths of like, that sounds weird. That sounds like cultist. Sorry. Uh, I apologize, <laughs> Jesus, for that. Uh, 12 of 12 weeks of teaching. Um, but so that's why we started there okay. is, is with that. And so the whole hope is that if we're just discipling people who are already in the church, we're never going to grow, actually. Like our right. churches, the kingdom of God's not going to grow unless we have a basis of like evangelism, and so that's a really big teaching within yeah. within that. So personally, I so you're going to have to walk me through that because I really struggle with like saying or the the method of saying this is discipleship, whereas this is evangelism. Sure, sure. Where where I would think that evangelism is like sharing the good news yep. of God sure. with somebody else to invite right. them into the family, and yep. then therein, I mean, you know, traditions sure. are going to disagree about right. what formally sure. is you're in or you're out, right. and I don't, I'm right. not interested in that conversation. Yeah. Um, but, like, how do you distinguish sure. the two? Or are they synonymous in, in what you felt like you've been doing, is that so, someone is discipling while they're evangelizing? Sure. Um, they are not synonymous. Okay. Um, the way that we, I think part of discipleship is actually teaching disciples how to share the gospel. So that's what, like when we talk about evangelism, what we're doing is discipling them how to share the gospel. So evangelism is a different thing, but it's also part of discipleship, right. if that makes sense. So as you, so it's like, it's part of the teaching of discipleship, I guess is yeah. how, I'd, how I'd say that a little differently. One of the ways to see if someone is being discipled is the fruit of... sure. Act, them going out and living right. out, sure, or sharing the gospel with others. Right. Would that be a, a sure. fair way to say yeah. that? Okay. Yeah. I think that there's, you know, we we've talked, um, Pastor Brant and I, and and just looking at like our our vision and different things is, you know, discipleship and spiritual disciplines is kind of the step one, sure, which leads to those other wings like right. ministry and serving within ministry right. and evangelism and. Different things because without the without the discipleship, without the the studying of scripture, without prayer, exactly. without that that faithful walk, it's hard to follow through on those other things because exactly. there's not that there's not that base foundation, foundation and right. commitment exactly. there. And so it really is kind of like while they're all vital parts in the life of the church and the life of a follower, there is kind of this step one sure. that is that is engaging with right. other other believers and challenging your own thoughts and perceptions and and growing in your faith mm -hmm. to, to take that next step. Yeah, for sure. So maybe one of the things we can do next is just to, to kind of make these terms more accessible. Sure. I think that one of the things, you know, I, I'm not necessarily afraid of 
churchy words because right. I think that there's a rich history to them. Sure. But I do think that there is a certain inaccessibility sure. to those who don't necessarily speak the language right. of of the historical faith um, to talk about something like discipleship or evangelism. Sure. So when when you say evangelism, mm-hmm. Garrett, what what do you specifically talk about? Yeah, so what we talk about is just... Uh, Actually, there's different ways that we share the gospel. So we teach a few different ways, uh, but really when it comes down to evangelism is sharing that kind of a, the worldview almost of Christianity, that from the beginning, from Genesis, that we've fallen because of our rebellion against God's commands, because of our sin, another churchy word, right? Because of because we've actually not been obedient to the way that God designed the world, that we've been separated from a relationship with Him, and that's why He sent His Son Jesus to earth so that He could die on the cross to restore that relationship with God. And so really it's just, I mean, that is a very, that was 30 seconds of, of sharing the gospel in truth, but that is a foundational thing that we share in terms of it. So when we're doing discipleship, um, we share salvation actually before evangelism. So we teach on salvation, and then the next week we teach on evangelism. So what we learned in salvation, about salvation through Christ and Christ alone, by putting our faith in His death and resurrection, that we could have a relationship with God, and then we teach evangelism after that. So um, I'd say that's really kind of the bare bones is evangelism is really us as Christians, as professing Christians, people who have put our faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. We are actually going out and telling other people that they can be saved, that they can have a relationship with God as well. Right. Within the bib- the biblical text, the gospel or the good news sure. had to do with people going out proclaiming what the king had done. Exactly. So... Really, what followers of Jesus are saying are they are taking their faith away or the the good news away from the earthly king and putting it into the kingdom of God yep. and proclaiming what the kingdom of God is is doing. Yep. And I think that a lot of times that's experiential within the life sure. of a Christian yep. uh, or within the life of a Christian sure. community, as yeah. you're seeing within your small group. So one of the things that I admire about you, Garrett, is the way that you kind of demystify evangelism from where you've spoken uh, both personally and from um, from teaching during sure. Encounter. It's not this thing where you have to go get your bullhorn and milk crate right. and then go to the Fort Hayes game sure. and yell at people. Uh, about besides like, the refs, right? Yeah, <laughs> besides the refs. Um, so, so tell me how you've just actually meaningfully sure. put steps into your life to to share sure. the news of the gospel with. Others. Yeah. So for me, at least, evangelism started really early on in my faith. I was still living in the fraternity house, and I just had seen how much God had done in a matter of months in my life. And so it was like every night I'm coming home, they're throwing parties, and I'm just not enjoying that. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm here. I'm just going to start talking about Jesus. Mm. And so it was really trial and error for me more than anything. Nobody really taught me how to share my faith. And, and, but all those guys knew, I mean, they saw the transformation. They had seen what in the world is going on. Did they understand it? No, they had no idea why I did what I did. And so that was why I was there. And, and, and so for me, I can remember this one time I was, I was at my house and uh, somebody had gotten arrested for for an issue they were struggling with, and we were talking about it privately in the kitchen. And I was just helping him, and the and he was talking to me just as a friend, and he knew that I would care for him. And and 
And I just told him, I was like, man, this is, I was like, you, you really, we need to have a more serious conversation about what's going on is because this is going to continue to happen. If, if you, and I was like, you know what happened in my life. And I just started kind of sharing with him. And next thing I know, I look up and the entire, what was going on, the entire party had just stopped. And I was surrounded by about 50, 60 people in a room about this big, not very big. And I look around and everybody's in the room Hmm. listening to me to talk about Hmm. Jesus. Interesting. Yeah. And I was like, so I started talking a little louder. <laughs> <laughs> so you went to grab your bullhorn. I grabbed my bullhorn. <laughs> yes. Um, but what I realized was that um, the message of Jesus is actually really attractive. Hmm. And okay. and so for me, that was all of a sudden, once I started sharing my testimony and what God had done in my life, all of a sudden people are going, oh, I wonder if they started coming closer. Not that nobody ever came to Christ that year. Like I was really devastated my first year. I was like, oh, this is what we're gonna do, lead people to Christ. Like, and that's kind of how I think we think it's yeah, gonna go, right. you know? Like every I mean, time I share yeah. my testimony, everybody's gonna get saved. And that's just not the way that it is. Or that's the burden. Right, that exactly. Feels like or, if, right. if I share and exactly. someone doesn't believe because then of I what must I shared, have been wrong. then I failed. Exactly. Right. And so I always when I talk about evangelism, I always go back to the parable of the sawyer of the sower and the four soils because all of those, and if you're not familiar, some of them, you know, fall on hard, hard ground and they never sprout out. Some of them come in the weeds, they sprout up really quickly and they die off. Some of them, like all of, I can't remember the, is that the third one? No, I'm not. And I'm feeling really badly. <laughs> okay. But yeah. a couple of them basically sprout up really quickly and then die and wither yes, away. Because they didn't have deep roots. They didn't have deep roots. And, and so, and, and then the last ones. Some along, among the weeds. Right. But yep. then. Exactly. Some f- are fine. Good soil. Good soil. Right. And so for me, I always think of that parable in terms of the evangelism because our job is not to grow or to save anybody. Yeah. It's actually God's job to save. We are just messengers of the king. And so for me, that's what took a huge um, weight off of my shoulder when it comes to evangelism is I'm just a sower. So I'm going to throw a bunch of seed out there, and hopefully some of it takes. Hopefully this is good soil, and I pray for better soil, pray for fruitful soil. But when people don't respond or they reject me or they persecute me, I understand that Jesus actually said that's going to happen, and we're blessed because of it. When people sprout up and then they fall away, I understand that that's sometimes that is why things happen. But I'm also not surprised when somebody responds to the gospel and it completely changes their life and things are completely different. And so for me, that's that's the way that I approach evangelism is just saying, I'm a sower. I'm going to throw as much seed out as I can. And for me, I've never really seen somebody respond to the bullhorn kind of in-your-face evangelism. I'm not saying that that shouldn't ever happen. And there will be people that I know who will be like, I've done that. I've done street air street preaching, that type of stuff. And it's worked, and that's great. And I'm not putting that down at all. For me, I've just never seen that happen in a meaningful way where people have responded. And so uh, I, that's just not my style. I'm not saying that can't happen or it won't happen or it shouldn't happen. What I am saying, for me at least, a lot of what has happened in my life is as I've shared my testimony, God has brought people up close to me who are who have struggled or are struggling with the same things that I struggled with. And through that, God works crazy awesome. And um, through his power, he works out something for for his good and his glory. And so that's that's one way we share the gospel is just through our, te- our testimony. 
And so we actually practice in our small group. We do a three-minute testimony. There's 30-second testimony, three-minute testimony, 30-minute testimony. And so we actually practice that, not the 30-minute testimony, but we actually practice the three-minute. And so everybody gets that. We'll start practicing the 30-second testimony. So when you're in line at Walmart, you can share the gospel in 30 seconds while they check out your bananas or whatever you're getting, you know? And, And so... Um, and then the other, there's various other ways, you know, famous one, Romans Road, or you draw across, you know, there's a big, vast distance between this this cliff and God, and you're on this side, and God's on this side, and then you draw across and, and everything. And we think that's kind of cheesy, but that's how the first, the girl who led somebody to Christ, she literally drew that out and said, which side are you on? And she put herself across from God, and she goes, do you want to do you want to put your faith in Jesus so you can be in a relationship with God? And that's how she responded to the gospel. And so those things work. And we also do this um, training called the three circles, which is um, pretty easy. It's like God's design, um, sin, and then the gospel. And so we just take people through this kind of Genesis 3, um, talking about sin and then the redemption story about how Jesus came. So there's a bunch of ways that you can do it. There's no way that's perfect, but I'm never going to tell somebody that um, that is trying to go out and share the true message of Jesus that they're doing it the wrong way because I think we've done that before and it actually hurts the heart of people who are who are sharing the gospel. So, yeah, I, I think there's a. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of different methods, and there's right. different methods because different people respond exactly. to different things. But I think one thing that is pretty consistent across all of them is people understanding the heart behind it. Exactly. And for you in in that small room when all the people started to take notice, the first thing that 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 the individual you were talking to noticed was you were willing to sit there and talk to him exactly. and care for him in a time of of need right. and a time of hurt in his right. life, which then other people began to see sure. that same thing. Like right. why is he talking to him and why is he taking this time to spend sure. time with him? And that becomes attractive, exactly. right? Because loving each other and caring for each exactly. other is attractive. And and the other thing I wanted to to mention, Garrett, that I love that you said in talking about, you know, kind of being a sower of seeds is sometimes I think we don't even get to see the seed sprout up. Right. Exactly. You know, there's there's times where there's something that I think really flopped or failed that I was a part of an event, uh, uh, you know, speaking somewhere, doing something like that, and I just I I personally didn't feel great about it for whatever reason. Um, and years later, mm-hmm. hear that somebody was impacted by that, mm-hmm. not because of what I did, but because right. of what God did, yeah. and so um, I'm assuming that that's something you you relate to as well. Of you know. It, is it worth sowing those seeds if you never see the fruit exactly. from it, if you never see right. it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is. I, I had a mess I got a message probably three years ago from a fraternity brother. Yeah. Yeah. And he basically had he had gotten married and had a couple of kids and they had just started going back to church. Mm-hmm. And he messaged me and apologized for the way mm-hmm. that he treated me his senior year, my senior year. And um just said that he respected my dedication to following Jesus and that um, it was just kind of a, it was an example to him on how to follow Jesus through through turbulent times and that was the first time I'd ever heard anybody say to me from that my senior year in college that had any impact and I just got a message one about a month ago from another fraternity brother yeah. who apologized almost the same exact mm-hmm. way and just said that he was following Jesus now and so it is true and and there will be times I think. I don't know if 
I always think it's kind of funny when people are like, we're going to get to heaven and see people. But I think that might be true in some ways, yeah. like that we never will know that some our obedience impacted them in, a, in an eternal way. And maybe we're the person that plants the seed. Maybe we're a person that waters it. Exactly. But there may be a lot of people right. along the along that yep. that life that, exactly. that helps to it. Exactly. And so, you know, that's that's I think again, if we can wake up each day and be open to those opportunities, yep. I think that's what that's an important exactly. part of our walk. Yeah. Yeah, I think that these are are really helpful. And one of the things that just maybe to summarize for a second, um there are ways to evangelize through speaking, but there are also ways of evangelizing through your behavior. Yeah. And I think that that individual in the kitchen um, at, at the party just saw that yeah. you were willing to be there, right? your presence. And, right. and that, that shows that there's something different. Right. Um, just... To kind of end, I do want to talk about some really exciting things that you have coming up. Sure. Um, I know that I've listed a whole bunch of hats that you wear. One of those is author, mm. um, and you've written a book called Relationship Goals. Yes. Um, that also... Michael Todd uh, stole my title also, just so you know. <laughs> I want to say you that publicly. Still, <laughs> still litigating on yeah. this. <laughs> so, but you have a new book coming out that's called No Longer Labeled. Yes. And I've heard one of your your sermons that you use for mm. your itinerant speaking called Labels, yes. um, and it's very powerful. Thank so you. let's let's just talk about the, that that whole idea sure. of the labels that we give ourselves yep. and then how God might redeem those labels sure. that we give ourselves. Yeah. So, um, it, this is actually one of the first messages that I ever preached. Mm-hmm. So I think it was like the second or third message I'd ever preached. And I thought like the first time there was a response was good. And it was just one of those things like, okay, cool. Thanks God. And put it away. Thankfully I saved it on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, but for me, it, it really just stems, it stems a lot from my testimony and I talk about that a lot in the book. I talk about the seven deadly labels that we all all wear, and um, and so one of the, one of them is is just from kindergarten. You know, I got called a name on on the playground, and and I started to realize after my life with Christ that I was wearing a lot of identities, which is what I call labels. A lot of identities that weren't actually from God, and um, and so essentially, what labels are just. Uh, identities that we either give ourselves to try to create some fulfillment or like, I'm good at this. And so I'm going to be this insert blank. It can be anything or they're things that other people have told us and the world has tried to, that we've internalized. Yes, exactly. That we've internalized. So the, the kid called me bugly, you know, on the playground. And, and so for me, I internalized that. And, and some, even to this day, I struggle with self-image issues and I kind of mm-hmm. wonder if sometimes it didn't stem like that obviously was not the only time sure, that something right. like that happened. But I wonder if my self-image issue started that day on the playground mm-hmm. because somebody called me a name. And so right. that's that's how we kind of, you know, yeah. put these labels on or they're cha- attached by us. And so what I realized is I was reading 2 Corinthians 5, this famous passage, right? The old is gone, the new is here. And I'm like, what does this mean? Like it's this churchy, we talked about churchy words. It's like, okay, what does this actually mean? And it it really, what I I started, as I started studying, I realized that we have been given a new identity. That means all of our old ones are gone. Jesus actually died. He crucified all of our identities on the cross 2,000 years ago. And so as Christians, people who profess the name of Jesus, we actually can't 
wear our old labels any longer. And, and it's not possible for us because we are new creations. We are new people. Jesus has taken off the old. He's put on the new. And so that means we have to figure out what, what to do with those old labels because they're not us anymore. They're not who we are. And we have to discover who we are in Christ. And so we have to replace those old labels with the truth that is found in Scripture. And so as you study, and if, if you do get a copy of the book and read, essentially what I do is talk about the identities we've been given through in Christ, through Scripture in Christ. And so, and that's where it all starts. It has to, our identity has to be shaped and formed through the power of Scripture, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's all because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Yeah. So how does that functionally like inform how a believer um, behaves because sure. you know you have this salvation experience. Um, not every single facet of someone's life immediately right. changes, exactly. right? Yep. I mean, you still have to go through right. being tons of things. Human. Yes, exactly. And and it's not like right. your social structure sure. just rearranges itself. Right. You know, uh, personally, anecdotally, one of the things that I had to really reframe was um, during my fifth year of college, I broke my foot and I was no longer able to compete as, exactly. as an athlete, right? right. My identity was tied to that activity. Yeah. I still run. Sure. It's very, very different. And it was a process of reframing. Sure. So so when you talk about, you know, I think it's very important to say, yes, there are things that God calls us sure. that we need to internalize. How do we work through that? Sure. And how do we meaningfully give ourselves grace sure. as we try to move yep. toward how God sees us? Sure. Yeah, so there's a couple things that come to mind. One of the seven deadly labels that I talk about is actually idols. Yep. And it's probably one of my more famous ones. Got me in trouble on stage here at Celebration at one point. But um, like when I was being a father, when I first, like the first day in the hospital, I, I just, I don't know why, I've always wanted to be a dad. And I don't know if that's weird. I no no it's guys not. talk about that, but <laughs> it's just I don't I've know why we to, don't talk yeah. to I don't know why we don't talk about it, but I just did. Yeah. And and so I never I don't know if I've ever said that publicly, but here you go. Um <laughs> but anyways, so when we had Malachi, I just wanted to be a good dad and I I couldn't put her to sleep. It's a long story, you know, crying obviously and things. But I just felt like a terrible dad. And so what I realized is in that moment, I was actually idolizing my role as a father. And that when I failed, I felt like a failure. When you couldn't run as an athlete, you didn't feel like an athlete anymore. And all of a sudden our lives just crumble because we're like, wait a minute, this is not who I am. I can remember there was a guy who, when I kind of stepped away from um, being a part of Encounter for a season um, as, as a staff person as Encounter, that he asked me, who are you outside of Encounter? And I couldn't give him an honest answer. Because I had built my identity around, I was the encounter guy. I was the, uh, you know, I was the associate director or whatever my fancy title was at the time, and I was speaking and I was helping people grow in their faith. And all of a sudden, that kind of came crumbling down. And what I realized, just like you did, was that we build up idols for ourselves, where we get more when we put more emphasis on our role rather than Jesus's sacrifice on the cross. That's when it's become an idol. And so not that I don't want to be ever be a good dad, right. you know, not right. that I don't want to be the best dad that I can be for my daughter and that God hasn't gifted me with that. But it, when it becomes more important than what God has done in my life, when it becomes more important than anything else as actually just being his son, where he's not expecting us to be perfect and all of those things. And I think that's actually where the grace yeah. thing happens yeah. when we realize that 
we are his son and his daughter. And he said, just like he said with Jesus, he's pleased with us. When we don't have to work for his pleasure, that's when we can all of a sudden we realize we, we don't have to earn his grace. We don't have to earn these things. And it's not that we don't walk in excellence doesn't mean that we don't try to pursue a better way of doing the way the things that God has called us, but we can take the weight off our shoulders. We can take a deep breath. And what I love about the Sermon on the Mount, sorry, I'm going to talk about it. Uh, encounter people are probably not going to listen to this podcast because I'm talking about the Sermon I, on the Mount. We could go over the Sermon <laughs> on the Mount for the next 10 years and I'd be fine. Okay, with it. good. So. Um, but what I love about what Jesus says in Matthew 7, he says, if you put my words, if you put my teachings into practice, I think he used that word really meaningfully. Mm-hmm. And I think that he means that we're not going to get it right all the time. Yeah. When we put all of these truths, we've talked about a lot of truths of Christianity. We've talked about foundations and all this stuff. When we just put into practice what he teaches us, it doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean that he's expecting us, you know, when my daughter started working are walking for she's already working yes obviously yeah, uh, pay those bills. couple of <laughs> child labor <laughs> yes. laws that we're going to need to cut talk that, about cut that post post um but uh I was I don't even remember what I was going to say <laughs> when Malachi started walking when she started walking I didn't expect her to be perfect yeah I didn't and every time she fell down I didn't wow you're an idiot. And I think that's the way we think about God mm. when we're talking about our identity. Like when we fall back into one of the old labels or, or we struggle with sin or whatever it may be in in terms of our identity, I don't think God, our Father, is up there chastising us going, you are so dumb. Why are you doing this? I think that's the way that we look at it. And I think that God's heart is full of grace and love for us that he knows that we're not going to get this perfect the first time or maybe even the 15th time that we're trying to put this all together, that we're working through all of these bumps and bruises that my daughter got when she's learning how to walk. And now she can walk pretty well. She can't quite run. She hasn't got that figured out, but I'm still not mad at her. And I think that's where we need to understand that grace is actually for us, that grace is helping us become more like Jesus. And in the process of that, he's not up there going, you are an idiot for getting this wrong. He's saying, I want to show you me. I want to show you that I've actually set the example. I love that about Jesus, that he actually set the example for us to be, we're in Christ. And so he set that example for us, how to live out our God-given identity on earth. And so if we want to learn more of who we are supposed to be, we just look at Jesus. Man, that's a word that the kingdom of God is not a meritocracy, <laughs> but it's it's one that when all things come into alignment as they are truly ordered to be, then we walk out in love. Yeah, yeah. and I think that that's a that's a really beautiful way to live. That's not devoid of hardship, right? But there's fulfillment in that hardship yeah. because that hardship is born out of love and compassion. Right for those that God loves right. and is called. Right, yeah. Um, and I think in even in Romans 8, 28, right, we all love that passage. And we're and when we're having a hard time, sometimes that verse gets us through, but Paul didn't stop there. Right. And right. I don't think we should either. Why do we face hardships? It says in verse 29, so that we could actually become more like Jesus. Right. So I think those hardships are not only, they, I they think sometimes they're loving uh, a process for us to say, I can actually become more like Jesus. And I don't think we'll actually avoid hardship when we change our perspective because we'll realize that Jesus has probably faced everything that we faced and he's willing to walk through it with us in the midst so that we can become more like him. Yep. 
Dude, it's great. That's so good. So, listeners, go out and buy the book. Thank you. For real. Not just because Garrett is is great, but you know, anything that we can do to reframe how God sees us as beloved, yeah. as masterpieces, and not to find some sort of like self-propagation in that, but actually to live out in love and to yeah. be the kingdom of God, we get to invite others into that. So go buy Garrett's book. Go yep. listen to the Encounter Young Adults podcast. Come to Encounter on Wednesday nights and listen to him preach or somebody else preach. Garrett, it is an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. We hope to have you on the podcast again very, very soon. Thanks. Thanks.